Are there contradictions in the King James Bible? Is the title of the message. We're going to start in Luke chapter number four. Watch what the Bible says in verse 17. Look back up to verse 16. And came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This is Jesus. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ear. Now what we read in Luke chapter number 4, Jesus is in the synagogue, right? He opens the book. We see that two or three times in the text. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. Newsflash. It wasn't the original manuscript that Isaiah penned when God inspired him to write. Jesus is reading from a copy, and who, who knows how many copies of that? We have no idea. But he's not reading from the original manuscript, yet Jesus, God, who's manifest in the flesh, is reading from the book. And you know what he calls it at the end? Scripture. He calls it Scripture. Verse number 21, I think it is. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This book is a spiritual book. And how are you going to explain when people say, well, it's just a copy, it's just a translation, yet Jesus is reading from a copy of a translation and he calls it scripture. It's a spiritual book. God he has allowed some problem texts within the Holy Scriptures. And he's doing that because he is revealing to us. I really believe he's revealing to us that he is the author of the book of the Scripture. Man is not. The thermal laws of expansion and contraction. You heat a, a solid, you, you heat something, and what happens when you heat it? It expands. What happens when you cool it? It contracts. That's the laws of expansion and contraction, except water is the exception. Isn't that weird? How do you explain that? I'm not a scientist. I, I'm, kidding. I'm sure there's an explanation. 
But God allows problem texts within his word so that we would know that he's the author and man is not the author. You put, uh, you put so when the roads get icy around here, especially in Tennessee, what do we put them? Salt. Why? The salt melts the ice. Why is it that polar ice caps in the, in the sea full of salt don't melt? I don't know. I'm sure somebody knows. God allows these problem texts, so to speak, to show us he's the creator of this world. He's the author of this book. It's a spiritual book first. Also, because God does want us to study his word, study to show thyself approved on the God. It also, God allows trials and tests in our life. Just read the book of Job. We spoke much about trials in the Christian life this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, the word of God is quick and powerful. It's a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. So God gives us some, some problem texts in, text in his word because the word of God is so quick and powerful. It does discern thoughts and hearts and intents of, of our heart to God. Are we going to sneer at his word? Are we going to try to be above it, correct it, or are we going to go with a different attitude? Go to 1 Peter and get the fourth chapter, 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. God tests. He tests us. He tests people. We see it through the Bible in the first, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened I rejoice in as much as you are because of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. God is not unjust when we have to go through strange trials, fiery trials. He's not unjust at all. It's a testing, it's a trial of our faith. And go, go to 1 Corinthians because many things are hidden. First Corinthians chapter two. And God does this on purpose. He puts things a little bit here, a little bit there, and he wants to study and he wants us to dig. Look at First Corinthians four, verse five. It says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light. The hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Many things are purposely hidden. That's why the word of God, the our thoughts and our intents of our heart, the word of God is quick and powerful. It's a discerner of that. You know as well as I do, you've been in some type of situation where you're trying to figure the thing out and you can't figure it out. Maybe God just wants us to trust him. But we see in 1 Corinthians 5, many, many things are... Go to John 6. 
we'll get some, we'll start getting into some supposed contradictions. John chapter number six, you got to think on some of these. John six sixty three. John six sixty three. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak of, they are spirit, and they are life. When you come to a supposed error or so called contradiction in the Bible. If you study the thing out, likely you're going to be led to God's word. That's the idea. That's one of the ideas out of that word. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit. They are. God's word will help bring light into the situation. Go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Start at verse 1. Proverbs 18, verse 1. The Bible says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in them, but that his heart may discover it. When the wicked cometh, then cometh also contempt, and with ignominy reproach. Man really don't. A fool really doesn't want truth. A lot of times, people talk about the so-called error of the Bible. It just brings upon public shame. Oh, the person is trying to find fault with God's word, and so God's word will help to bring all of that to light. There's a principle there that could certainly be a so-called errors expose the fool. But no delight in understanding. But it's hard to discover. Itself, itself. First Corinthians one. We've read this before. I will destroy the wisdom of wise. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Have not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So let's look at one contradiction. We'll start off with uh, get get First Samuel. Chapter number 15. 1 Samuel chapter number 15. People say, well, this is a contradiction in the Bible because Exodus 20 uh, in, in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not kill. We all know that, right? Doesn't the Bible say you shouldn't kill? Sure it does. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Well, if, the Bible, if God said not to kill in Exodus 20, then in 1 Samuel 15, watch what it says. Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Well, that's a contradiction. 
I thought God said not to kill anybody in Exodus chapter 20. Now he's calling for. Now, is that a contradiction in the Bible? Of course it's not. Exodus chapter 20 is dealing with someone's individual sin. First uh, Samuel chapter 15. It's God giving a national command to. It's God's national defense program for the nation of Israel. That's what that is. One cannot be related to the other. They're two different thoughts and ideas. One's an individual sin. The other one is God giving a defense program. And that's all that is. You ask somebody that corrects the Bible. If you ask them, hey, can you, do you think you can just write the Bible? Most of them will say no. But those same people that say, no, I can't write the Bible, they'll be the first ones to tell you they want to correct it where they pick and choose. I don't know how you can correct something that you admit that you can't write, but that's where we're at. All right, ready for a, uh, another contradiction? Supposedly, let's get the book of Matthew, chapter 8, and the book of Mark, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 8. And Mark chapter number five. Matthew chapter eight. And Mark chapter number five. Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty-eight, we'll start there. And when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding spirits. So that no man might pass by that way. How many men are in Matthew 8.28? There met him, what does it say? Two. Everybody see that? That's pretty easy and obvious. Go to Mark chapter number five. And there came over the other side of the sea into the country of the gatherings. And he was and when he was there out of the ship. I'm sorry, okay. Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. How many men is that? That ain't two. That's one. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, though not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stone. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God, thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit, that's Jesus speaking. And he asked him, What is thy name? He answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much. He would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, and enter into them. Last verse, 13. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirit went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea 
There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Matthew 8 contradicts Mark 5. Or does it? There's no contradiction. The passage that we read in Matthew gives the number of men that were there without the details. Our passage that we just read in Mark, you get the details without the number. You get the detailed account of one man. That's why we read all of that, 5, uh, 1 through 12. You get the details, not the number. In Matthew, you get the number without the details. Mark is the conversation that's happening between one of those men. Now, you know, if you've done, uh, I mean, just fix something. I mean, you know, a coach is given a lesson and uh, all, the, all the students are around the coach, all the players are around the coach. And during practice, he's given a lesson. And at the end of it, Everybody has their view, and they're giving their detailed account, and that's kind of what's going on. There's a detailed account happening, even though there were two men there. And so that's all that is. It's just a detailed account. Get Matthew 10 and Mark 6. Matthew 10 and Mark chapter number 6. Matthew 10 verse number 9. Jesus speaking, and he says to the twelve, provide neither gold nor silver, verse 9 in Matthew 10. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. So he said, no, what? Shoes and no staves. Everybody see that, Matthew? At verse 10. No shoes, no staves. That's the pull staff. Go to Mark 6. Mark 6, verse number 8. The Bible says, uh, in this account, Mark 6, verse 8, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff no strip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shot with sand and not put on two coats. So Matthew said, no shoes, no staves, and Mark says, take a staff and sandal. See, there must be a contradiction in the Bible. Or is it? Or is it? You know what Mark said? Take nothing except one staff and shod your feet with one pair of sandals. That's what he told Matthew said, provide neither. So you're not to provide extras. He wants you to take one staff. He wants you to take one pair of sandals. And the verse in Matthew, which one says provide? Okay, so Matthew 10, it clearly says provide neither. You're not to store up more. You're not to provide extra. You're not to go and purchase some more. That's all that is. It's just more detail. Not a contradiction. One is take nothing except one and one. And the other one says 
provide neither. Don't add more, don't try to add extra. So that clears up that Matthew 10 and Mark 6 supposed contradiction. There's not a contradiction at all. It's just uh, just different details. Matthew 10 and Luke 12. Matthew 10 and Luke 12. Matthew chapter number 10, and we'll be in the 29th verse. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? How many sparrows? Two. And the question is, are they not sold for a farthing, right? Okay. Uh, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. So that's Matthew 10, 29. All right, go to Luke 12, 6. How many sparrows do we have in Matthew 10? Two. All right, go to Luke 12. Luke 12, look at verse number 6. Luke 12, verse number 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And one of them is for God, for God. Oh, is this a contradiction, or is this, or is this God? Just any of you ladies go shopping? Of course you do. You're going to buy two for a dollar, or you can buy five for two dollars. Which one are you going to go? There's no contradiction. There's no contradiction. He's given the same idea. You just the more you buy, the more you save. <laughs> That's all that is. There's no contradiction in the Bible. You got two sparrows sold for a farthing, or you got five sparrows sold for two farthings. No difference in the way we communicate and shop. We're going to buy more for less money. But there's no contradiction in it. Look at Mark 10. Remember we looked at when we ran, oh, I forget when the lesson was. We looked at italicized words, and we talked about how when God quotes from Old Testament to New Testament, or even when God quotes old to old, we have this idea that he's required to quote word for word. And we can't box that into the text. It's just the Holy Spirit at liberty can quote how he, how he chooses. So just need to be careful of those types of things. Mark 10 and Matthew 20. Mark and Matthew 20. Okay, this will be the same idea here. Looked at before. Mark 10. Let's do Mark 10 first on this one. Mark 10. Look at verse number 46. And there came to Jericho, and as he went out to Jericho, with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Mark chapter number 10, we have one blind man named who? Bartimaeus. Pretty simple. Matthew 20, look at verse 30. Matthew 20, verse number 30. Watch this account, Matthew's account. Watch what it says. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, 
cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. So Matthew 20 has two blind men, but the Mark 10 passage just has one blind man named Bartimaeus. You know what Mark does? The same thing we looked at before. He is going into a detailed account of what happened to one of those men. So again, one account gives the number with no details. The other account gives the details without naming the number. It gives you the name of the one man and gives you a detailed account. Even by naming the name, okay, we get detail. And then we get detail about Bartimaeus. That's all that is. It's not a contradiction. It's you have Matthew's account and Mark's account. One is accounting detail. The other was giving a account for number. So that's on the two blind men. Let's go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We're going to do an exercise together and then we'll close out the lesson. So, the exercise you're going to have to think Matthew 26, I'm supposed to be at verse 71. Matthew 26. Okay, this is going to work better if we get all the passages. Get Mark 14. Mark 14 will be in verse 69, I believe it is. Mark 14. All right, that's right. Keep your finger in Matthew 26, and you'll need Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. Watch with Matthew 26. We'll start there. Matthew 26, verse number 71. The Bible says, And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. So Matthew accounts that there was a maid that saw him. And we can all say that a maid would be a female. Okay? That's Matthew 26. Now, go to Mark chapter number 14. Look at verse number 69. Mark, Mark's account says in verse number 69, And a maid saw him again and began to say to them, Goodbye, this is one of them. So again, Matthew made female, Mark chapter 16, a maid, female. Now go to Luke 22. Here's our supposed contradiction. Luke 22, verse number 58. Okay, and after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. So Luke 22 says, Another. Is this a man? Is this a male or a female? I don't know. I don't know. Which is it? And is there a contradiction? One says made. Matthew says made. Mark says made. Luke says another. And we're left to question, is it a man? Is it a woman? What are we doing? Well, go to John 18, and that will clear up our contradiction and bring the light closure on this very easily. 
John chapter 18. Verse. Oh, okay. And Simon, yeah, that's right. Luke, John chapter 18, verse number 25. And Simon Peter stood and warned himself. They said, therefore, unto him, Art not thou also one of the disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. So, you know who was there? They. We don't have to distinguish, oh, was it a male? Or was it a female maid? Female maid? And then, oh, it says another. Could that be a male or a female? There could be a contradiction there. No. John clears it up and says, they. So that leads us to believe very easily that there were at least two. So it could have been that, uh, another, could have been male. Why is that important? Because people want to straw pick for errors or contradictions in the King James Bible. And there's no contradiction there. It can include a man and It certainly was a female made in Matthew and Mark. And so that clears that out very easily. Have I got all that? You ready for the last exercise? And I don't know if it means anything or not, but you tell me if it means something. Go to Genesis 1, first verse in the Bible, and go to Revelation 22, the last verse. The first verse and the last verse. Now, it's not in the numerology, but you tell me if this means something or not. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I want you to count how many words are in that verse. Go ahead and count them, and then give me the answer. You got 10 words in Genesis 1, 1. 10 words. I go to Revelation 22. Our last book of the Bible, our last verse in the Bible, rather. Last verse in the Bible, Revelation 22, verse number 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. How many words are in the last verse of the Bible? How many? Twelve. You got twelve words. Very, very good. So you got ten words in Genesis 1. You got 12 words in the last verse of the Bible. Well, what does that mean? It don't mean anything yet. Go back to Genesis 1. Count how many letters are there. Count how many letters are in Genesis 1 1. And call out the answer. How many letters in Genesis 1-1? 44 letters in Genesis 1-1. Revelation 22-21. Count how many letters. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. How many letters in Revelation 22-21? 44. So you got 44 letters in Genesis 1-1. You got 44 letters in Revelation 22-21. That's pretty cool. 
Go back to Genesis 1. I know you. some of you kids are homeschooled. Some of you kids go to Christian school. Let's see if you learned anything. Count the vowels. Count the vowels. How many vowels in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How many vowels in Genesis 1? 17. Okay, someone's been getting school, not just home. But you're paying attention. Very good. Revelation 22, 21, how many vowels? 17, Josiah was right on top of that. 17 vowels in Revelation 22, 21. The last verse of the Bible, first verse of the Bible. 17 vowels, 17 vowels. All right, last thing you got to count. The consonant. Can't leave out the consonants. How many consonants in Genesis 1 1? How many consonants? In the beginning, 27. 27 consonants. Go to Revelation 22 21. How many consonants? Last verse of the Bible. In the first verse of the Bible, how many consonants? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Twenty-seven. Isn't that amazing? Forty-four letters in each, seventeen vowels in each, twenty-seven consonants in each. The first verse of the Bible and the last verse of the Bible. Well, that's pretty cool. Now, what's different? You got ten words in the first verse, twelve words in the last verse. Why is that important? What's the most attacked verse in all of the Holy Bible? The most attacked verse, without a doubt. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. As far as what they want to take out of the Bible. And you know, go, go to that, go to that verse. Y'all know that verse. For there are three that bear record in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, what did I say at the beginning of the message? There are problem texts, so-called problem texts, because God wants us to know that he is the author of this book, not man. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, is the most attacked verse of the entire Bible. Now, Genesis 1-1 is from the standpoint that they want to attack it, say God didn't create and all that. But as far as the verse being taken out of the Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verse number 7, it is. You know what 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 gives you? The author of the book. And you know who the author of the book is? The Father, the Word, that's the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. It gives you the three authors. I mean the one author. The, for there are three that bear a record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. How many words? Ten. Revelation 22.21. How many words? What's ten plus twelve? Count how many words are in First John 5. Now tell me that ain't something. There's 22 words in 1 John 5. So. Well, that's just coincidence, is it? How many letters were in Genesis 1 1? 40. How many letters were in, first, uh, were in uh, Revelation 22 21? 
What's 44 and 44? 88 letters. Count how many letters in 1 John 5, verse 7. Count them, Joseph. Don't take my word for it. If you know anything, if you know anything, you don't take my word for something. You check it out yourself. How many letters in 1 John 5, verse 7? 88. I'm telling you. You can say what you want about this, but the author of this book is not man. There's no translator could put this thing together. I don't care if the translator says that he's not claiming the book's inspired. You know what? If God's not in this, then I don't know. I don't know really what to tell people. You got 22 words. You got 88 letters. How many vowels were in Genesis 1? 17. How many vowels were Revelation 22, 21? 17. What's 17 and 17? 34. Count how many vowels are in 1 John 5, 7. Count your vowels. 34. You got 34 vowels in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. How many consonants were in Genesis 1, 1? 27, right? How many consonants in Revelation 22, 21? 27. 27. 27. Don't take my word for it. Count your consonants in 1 John 5, 7. Count them. You got 54 consonants. Now you tell me, man, put this book together. The most attacked verse in the Bible, they say, well, it shouldn't be there. You can do what you want with it. I find it very, very, very interesting. I don't know why it's like that. Only thing I can say is God's the author of this book. And you know where you get it? In an English Bible. The last verse, the, the first verse, and when you look at 1 John 5 7, that's just an amazing thing. I mean, that's all I got. I can't explain it. I don't know if there's anything to it or not to it. But it is very, very curious. And that's the purpose they want to attack. This book, start to finish, is authored by God. And I don't want to correct it. I just want to study it deeper because you just get, I just, I just love the Bible. I want to study it. I don't want to correct it. I want to get better at learning what it means so that we can live our life victoriously for Christ.